Jackson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. You know, we've spent so much time talking about this Packers coaching search and Aaron Rodgers, and and we've spent a lot of time talking about the Brewers, right? They're one game away from the World Series, and I think all of this excitement and all of this conversation around some of the teams here in our state have kind of distracted us. And they've pushed us away from talking about the actual most dominant team in the state of all right now. That's the Milwaukee Bucks. This team is legit, and they've been legit for a while, but I think last night, Really told me something, and when you start to look at the numbers, this Bucks team just gets more and more impressive. First off, they're thirty-one and twelve. The Bucks could have a sub five hundred record from here on out for the rest of the year, and they could still win fifty games. I think that says a lot just in and of itself. The Bucks are barely in the number two seed right now, and by barely, I mean barely out of the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. But they're also stacking up and shaping up to be one of the better teams, at least this regular season. In the country, and it's not just the 31-12, and 12 because we've seen in just about every sport teams that do it in the regular season, and then they can't turn around to do it in the postseason, right? That, that's very common. It's not just the record. It's just not where they stand or how they've looked. It's tendencies. It's habits. It's things that you see from only championship contending teams. And we'll, we'll break into that here as we kick off the Wisco Sports Show on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you're having a good night. You can always get involved at 608-796-2558. The five-star telecom talking text line. And by the way, when we're talking bucks, some of our most active Twitter users and Twitter uh, friends, dare I say, at, uh, at WKTY and at my account, at Keystroker Grant, there are Bucks fans. I always hear and see Bucks fans on Twitter. I'm living in 2019. Bucks fans. So you can chime in there as well as we keep this conversation rolling. I said it's not just the 31 and 12 record. It's not just that they sit in second place, nearly in first place in the Eastern Conference and shape up with the rest of the NBA as well, not just their conference. It's not just that. It's just not the regular season performance because, like I said, we've seen teams do very well in the regular season and then fizzle out and phase out and not be able to stack up in the postseason. That's all too common. But when I look at this Bucks team, there's some tendencies and habits that you see that you go, all right, that's what makes a contending team. That's what separates the contenders from the pretenders, the men from the boys, right? There's a couple things. Number one, and for those of you who've been following the Bucks with a microscope, this will be this won't be news to you. You're gonna sit back and say, Oh yeah, that's my team. I know that. I love that team. But but maybe some of our more casual Bucks fans, or maybe some of our fans who listen to the Wisco Sports Show, but maybe aren't Bucks fans. Maybe they don't follow the team. And if that's the case, thank you for listening. Let me allow me to make a sales pitch here. This Bucks team is thirty-one and twelve. They have yet to lose two games in a row this season. They're twelve and zero following a loss. Twelve and zero. When when Budenholzer first got his foot in the door and got this team rolling at the beginning of the regular season, I believe they won their first. Geez, now I don't want to be wrong, but I, I believe they they won their first six or seven or eight, somewhere around there. They got off to a really fast start, and we were obviously all really excited, right? But we said, is this something they can sustain? Winning night in and night out with, with no bad stretch of play, with no bad weekend or bad road trip. The Bucks have gone on tough road trips through the Western Conference and, and down in Florida and, and through Atlanta. They, they've traveled on these road trips, and they've never once 
accumulated more than one loss in a row. They're 12-0 and following a loss. You watch this Packers team, and I think they're a great example this last year of how a loss can start to snowball. And I'll take you back to the bye week. They beat the Niners going into the bye, and then coming out, they had the Patriots, they had the Rams, they had the Vikings, all in that short stretch of games. The Dolphins were mixed in there as well, but they lose to the Rams in a fashion that maybe could have been avoided. If Ty Montgomery just holds on to the ball, that game could have gone differently. But then that team kind of allows it to snowball, and it carries over into the next week. They're in a great position to beat the Patriots in Foxborough. They have the ball, tie game in the fourth quarter. I think that's all you can ask for, and they just they couldn't do it. And then against the Vikings, kind of the same thing happened. They were there, they were there, and they just they didn't grab it. They didn't close in, and they allowed that first loss coming out of the bye to the Rams. They allowed that to snowball. That carried over, and you saw a lot of those same tendencies that you saw in a loss carry over to the next game and to the next game. And that's how losing streaks happen. That's how stretches of bad play happen. And that's not something that we've seen from this Bucks team. When they lose and they have lost 12 times, they're 31-12, they are 12-0 and following a loss. Whether that's off a of back-to-back, whether that's uh, playing a good team or a bad team, 12-0, and this team knows how to respond. When they notice something in a loss that they don't like, they know how to respond and they know how to fix it. And most importantly, they react to Coach Budenholzer. If he throws down the gauntlet and said, we didn't do this well, we need to improve on this, they follow him. And that's leading to sustained stretches of success. And not, oh man, if it, like with the Brewers this last year, going into the All-Star break, man, they had that miserable stretch against Pittsburgh. That can really sink a year. One week of bad play, or a week and a half of bad play in the NBA, that, that, that can be what affects seeding at the end of the year. That can have implications on playoff matchups. The Bucks have yet to have, and maybe they will have one, I can't imagine they will finish the year undefeated following a loss. But by and large, this team knows how to respond after a stretch, or I should say a game of poor play. They're 12-0 after a loss. Thing number two, when the Bucks lose to a team and then have an opportunity to face that team again in a rematch, they respond big time as well. Okay, Now, they have lost 12 times. Of the teams that have beat them, they have had a rematch with four of them, and they are 4-0 and in those rematches following a loss, and they have won those games, those four games, by an average of just shy of 27 points. 27. So not only do they respond, but they respond in a big way. Now, I will, I will be forthright with you. I will be honest. That 27 points per game is a little bit inflated by a huge blowout loss they had against, a huge blowout win they had against Portland. But they have won commandingly. They have responded well after losses in general, 12 and 0 following loss. And when they've had an opportunity to play a team that has beaten them previously, they grab onto it and they take that opportunity and not only win, but often win by a big margin, average of 26 and a half points per game. They're 4 and 0 in those rematch games following a loss. This Bucks team, it's not about the 31 and 12. It's not about Giannis who's putting up video game numbers and throwing down crazy dunks every night. That's all great. That doesn't always translate to postseason success. Because we've seen plenty of teams who are a flash in the pan who fizzle out in the first round of the playoffs. These tendencies, these habits of, all right, we lost a game. Let's turn around, fix all the things, and get back to a winning stretch of basketball. And let's not allow that loss to snowball. It's an 82-game season. You're going to lose games to good teams. You're going to lose games to bad teams. You're going to lose to Phoenix or Washington every once in a while. But then it's on the players and on Coach Budenholzer to respond and come back and win. They're 12-0 and following loss. That's something that should give you a lot of... You should feel very confident. You should take some solace in the fact that this Bucks team knows how to respond after a loss because the good teams know how to. 
They beat teams who have already beaten them. Example, Boston, Toronto. Following a loss, they are beating some of these teams. They're 4-0, and and they're winning by an average of just shy of 27 points. It's not about the 31-12. and That's great. That's a start. It's not about the Giannis who's putting together an MVP campaign. It's not what it's about. These, some of these habits and tendencies of championship teams. I'm not saying the Bucs are going to win a championship, but they're going to contend right now. They're at the top of the NBA. They're contending, and they're doing some things that I guess they show up in a box score, but they're not something you see night in and night out. It's these tendencies, these habits that are built over the course of a regular season that often translate to postseason success, and that's what I'm really excited about. And to boot, they're very balanced. They're 20-4 and four at home, which is obviously terrific. But they're 11 and 8 on the road. They have a winning record both at home on and on the road, something that let's we look no further than this past season's Green Bay Packers. They were fine at home. They defended well at home at times, but they couldn't win on the road. They had one win on the road all year and it took overtime against rookie Sam Darnold and a sitting duck head coach in New York to to finally scratch out that one road win. You're obviously going to be better at home or most teams are and and Milwaukee is their 20 and 4 at home, but that 11 and 8 on the road Gives you a little confidence that they can turn it on on the road, too. It doesn't take that home crowd. They're not saving it for home. They, they don't take a night off on the road just to come back and make sure they play well at home the night after. This is a very balanced team. They can win on the road and at home. They play well following a loss, which means they're not going to have a lot of winning streaks. They have yet to have a losing streak. Excuse me, not winning streaks. And if teams beat you, you respond, you adjust, and you come back and you beat them the next time they're 4-0. In those rematch games, this Bucks team is putting together a body of work that is impressive with the 31 and 12, but it's really more about the tendencies and the things that you're seeing that will translate to postseason success, because that's what we've seen from teams like that in the past. Last year, the Raptors had a tremendous record. They fizzled out in the postseason. Statistics like this give me a little bit of confidence, and, and here I am sticking my neck out on the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY that I think some of these stats and tendencies and habits will translate to postseason success, and I'm excited. If you're still not sold, if you're still not a Bucks fan, and, and I'm not trying to wish fandom upon you, maybe you've been trying to get into the Bucks and you just haven't. You've tried to sit down and watch a game. It's not your thing. Let me pass along some some big storylines, some easy things to grab onto. This Bucks team has a lot of moving pieces, a lot of exciting pieces and storylines going on with some of their players, with some of their coaches, and up and down that entire roster. And it is an exciting time and an easy time to be a Bucks fan if you're trying to do it for the first time. I'll tell you more coming up next. Second segment on the way. The Wisco Sports Show continues here on WKTY. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. I'm your host, Graham Bills. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're having a good night. Bucks fans, you're loving life, and, and that is the hot topic today here on the Wisco Sports Show. They're 31-12, and 12, but there's so much more to the story. If you're not a Bucks fan yet, maybe you want to be, I'm going to try to sell you. Got a couple of more uh, tricks up my sleeve today, but if you are, if you just don't care about the Bucks at all, we're talking Brewers coming up in about 10 minutes, so don't worry. Uh, there's a little bit of news, a little bit of a rumor, and it's it's going to be a fun exercise, a fun mental exercise to think about uh, some of these rumors and, and maybe the direction the Brewers should go. Right now, the Bucks are the uh, they're the darling of the dance. They're thirty one and twelve, and to be honest, some of these tendencies and habits that we're seeing out of the Bucks, they could treat, teach the Packers a thing or two. Isn't that weird to say? Six zero eight seven nine six two five five eight. If you have anything to say, five star telecom talk and text line. The Bucks are thirty one and twelve, but as we said to start the show, it's not just the record and where they stand in comparison to their conference and the rest of the league, they're doing things that you see solid 
contending teams do, like not go through winning streaks. The Bucks are 12-0 and this year following a loss, which is really impressive. I don't know how the common that is, but if I had to guess, 12-0 and after losses to start at this point in the season has got to be unheard of. I don't know. Maybe it's more common than that, but it, it, it is impressive, and it shows that this team is willing to adapt and adjust and follow and react to their head coach, Mike Budenholzer, which is something I think the Bucs were lacking in previous years. When teams have beaten them and the Bucs have got a shot at a rematch, they're 4-0. and They're winning those rematch games by an average of just shy of 27 points, which is just ridiculous. And they have a winning record both at home on and on the road. They're 11-8 and on the road, a more impressive 20-4 and at home. But that's to be expected as long as you can remain some, uh, some semblance of balanced and competent on the road and at home, you're going to be doing well. And those are the kind of things that give me reason to believe that the Bucs can not only turn this regular season success uh, into something in the postseason. They can continue it, right? Not only just be a flash in the pan. If you're still not a Bucks fan and you're trying to get into it, the, the Bucks have some very fascinating storylines and the things that are easy to grab onto right now. If I were to talk to someone who had just moved to Wisconsin, let's say they moved from... Uh, let's say they moved from like Great Britain. They came from across the pond, right? And they're settling here and they're a sports fan and they want to get into the local teams. I was thinking about this earlier today. If I was saying to this person who just moved here from overseas, I said, hey, you got to be a Packers fan. They've won more world championships than any other team in the league, 13-time world championships. They got a couple of Super Bowls in recent memory as well. It's not all uh, back in the 40s and 50s and 60s, but there is a lot of recent success as well. They currently have a Hall of Fame quarterback who's a two-time MVP, a one-time Super Bowl MVP in a winning performance there. And they're they're historic, cool franchise. Smallest market in all of professional sports and a lot of cool stories and a lot of cool players and coaches and fans have walked through the halls and and performed at Lambeau Field and and in previous venues as well. It's a pretty easy team to sell. If we were to talk about the Brewers, well, right now you have the, the current reigning NL MVP. You're one game away from the World Series and you have a young executive, a young manager, and you got to think that this franchise is trending in the right direction. Not to mention Miller Park is bleeping awesome. How fun is it to go tailgate? How fun is it to spend a day down in Milwaukee in the summer and grill and drink beer? They're easy sells. Now, if I had to sell someone on the Bucks right now, believe it or not, I actually think it would be fairly easy. You have an MVP candidate. It is too early to exhaust any energy and any breath debating whether it's James Harden, Giannis Antetokounmpo, or anyone else. That being said, you have a young player in Giannis who is unique and fun to watch. His personality is fascinating as well. Who's a top five, at least top seven, depending on who you ask, player in the world. And he's in the MVP conversation right now. By the way, Giannis had a triple-double last night. I somehow buried that lead. Uh, He had, uh, excuse me, 12 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists. They killed the Heat 124-86. to And I didn't really share any of that because we're looking at the Bucs' big picture. Uh, how they bounce back well after a loss, yada, 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 all those things. That was my focus. I forgot that they obliterated the Heat last night at the Pfizer Forum, and Giannis had a triple-double in limited minutes because he didn't really have to be out there. They were killing it at halftime. 12 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. Sit him down and get him rested because they have a back-to-back. They play the Grizzlies tonight. That game uh, tips off just after 7. Pre-game coverage will start here on WKTY at 6.30. But let's get back to what we were talking about. Giannis, MVP candidate. I would say you got to be a Bucks fan because they have an MVP candidate right now who's exciting as anyone in the league to watch. Their coach, first-year coach Mike Budenholzer, has done a tremendous job and is probably going to win Coach of the Year. Unless something goes terribly wrong for the Bucks in the second half of the season, I think Mike Budenholzer is a shoe-in for Coach of the Year. Nick Nurse you can make an argument for, but he took over in a great situation in Toronto and got a better roster from last year and has just sustained. Mike Budenholzer changed a lot of things, flipped a lot of things. 
and has taken this team to another level. You have what could be an MVP. You have what I think will be the coach of the year. And you have a roster that's exciting on just about every level. So if I'm trying to pitch someone on the Milwaukee Bucks on why they need to be a Milwaukee Bucks fan, I think it's pretty easy. And when you look at this roster, you have stars at the top. Most importantly, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's, let's face it, we like other players on this roster. He's in a league of his own. All right. You have Giannis, who's an MVP candidate, who's going to be the leading vote getter in the Eastern Conference for all stars. He's going to be an all star starter probably for just about every year in the near future. That's pretty easy. Below him, you have guys like Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe. Players who have who've been around. It's not just homegrown talent, but Middleton was obviously a trade. Eric Bledsoe was a trade. Guys who have enjoyed success and stints at other teams have now combined on the Bucks. Not like it's a super team or anything. But you have those second tier players, Middleton. Bledsoe. And then you go down the roster a little bit more, and you have tremendous role players. Brooke Lopez might be the best offseason acquisition of any team. right? Malcolm Brogdon, who doesn't get talked about a whole lot ever since he won Rookie of the Year, but has been a rock for this team. A solid 16 to 20 points a game. Tremendous free throw shooter. Tremendous three-point shooter. You're comfortable with him handling the ball. He doesn't turn it over a whole lot. And a guy who is always never satisfied. We didn't do this well enough. We need to improve here. A great mentality. Other role players, such as George Hill. Remember, George Hill was one of the best players alongside LeBron James on the Cavaliers last year, and he is now the third-string point guard on the Milwaukee Bucks. What a great get, and what, an, uh, what, a bolster, uh, what a bolstering of depth at the point guard position. So they have those role players as well, and then you have homegrown talent such as Sterling Brown and Dante DiVincenzo, and specifically DJ Wilson, who has come out of nowhere, who have all realized their roles and are now embracing their roles and really coming into their own, and that's the reason why this Bucks team in the last couple of weeks, has even more started to impress me than that six or seven game winning streak to start the year and obviously the hot start. Yeah, they're 31 and 12, but these last few weeks, DJ Wilson can now all of a sudden rebound and play defense, which is something you need to be able to do off the bench. Sterling Brown might be their best defender coming off the bench and is a great catch and shoot three-point shooter. Dante DiVincenzo had a hot start. His minutes have been harder to come by ever since the likes of Sterling Brown and DJ Wilson have kind of surged onto the scene. This is a really, really deep team. Ursan Ilyasova is out there. Not as a, in any starter capacity, but as a significant role player on this team. This roster top to bottom has exciting players at just about every level. There's plenty to grab onto if you're trying to pitch this Bucks team to somebody who is trying to become a Bucks fan. You have an MVP, although that hasn't been decided yet. I'm not wasting breath saying Giannis should or shouldn't be the MVP, but he's right there in the conversation. You're going to have what is who is going to be the coach of the year in Mike Budenholzer. You have a stratospheric superstar in Giannis. You have some secondary stars in Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe. And then you have a bunch of tremendous role players, some of which have been acquired, some of which are grown by the Bucks cheaply and through the draft. A lot of them in the second round. It's a really exciting roster and a really exciting situation to watch for the Bucks right now. And to be honest... When we're talking about these good tendencies, these good habits that the Bucks have shown outside of their record, they don't lose more than one game in a row. They're 12-0 following a loss. They're 4-0 in rematch games following a loss to that team, averaging about 27 points uh, by, uh, by the margin of victory. And they have winning records at home and on the road. Really balanced team who does a lot of things well. You see these good habits, these good tendencies, and they're just exciting. So if you're not a Bucks fan yet, and you're trying to be, I think this is as good a time as any to jump on board. And if I had to pitch the Bucks, if somebody moved to not only Wisconsin, but somebody came from overseas, from Europe, from China, from Africa, wherever, moved to Wisconsin, they said, Grant, I'm a sports fan. Sell me on your teams. Packers would be easy. 
the Brewers right now would be easy. I think the Bucks would be pretty easy too. And I know they're they're sometimes contained in a bubble in Milwaukee. And we do have listeners who are Bucks fans. I see them on Twitter all the time. Now is the time. This is exciting. There's a lot going on with this Bucks team, and it's not just the 31 and 12 record. But when you pull back the curtain and look behind the scenes, there's a lot to like. There's a lot to feel confident in, both in players and in statistics and in coaching. Just just everything. This is an easy team to like right now. And if they stay healthy, knock on wood, they're going to be one of the deepest, most talented rosters to enter the NBA playoffs. And I think the NBA this year is as wide open as it's been in the last four or five. So get excited. Get pumped. Get your hopes up, Bucks fans, because I think we're in for a good next couple of months. Start to follow this team if you haven't already. A team we've all been following is the Milwaukee Brewers. And I said, if you're not a Bucks fan, you don't have to wait very long. We're going to get into Brewers talk. There have been some rumors swirling. Now, the Brewers signed Yasmani Grandal to that one-year deal. It has a second-year option to make the Brewers, or make Grandal, excuse me, the Brewers' highest-paid player for next year. It's just shy of $19 million. That's all well and good. That free agent acquisition has come and gone. They've introduced him in the press conference, and, and, and we are set to move forward. What's the Brewers' next move? Well, we've seen some rumors. We've seen some tweets from insiders like Ken Rosenthal and others in the baseball world about what the Brewers might be doing behind closed doors where they might be leaning, and it's a familiar face. It's a familiar player, and I'm here to tell you that I absolutely love the move that's being rumored. I'll tell you more details, and I'll tell you the steps that I think the Brewers are going to take here in the next two weeks or so for their next move following this Yasmani Grandal signing. That coming up and a whole lot more on the Wisco Sports Show. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. More to come on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM. You can always find us there and stream live at WKTYsports.com and on our mobile app as well. I had a buddy this morning. We got out and did a little early morning fishing and he's, I, I was telling him yesterday I got pretty angry talking about the Badgers. And he said, oh, I want to hear that. Where can I find it? Don't forget, you can always listen to these shows uh, as a podcast. Anytime, anywhere, you can skip around and, and listen to the topics that you like or specifically what you missed. You don't have to listen to them as a whole. You can find it at WK2iSports.com. Just click on the podcast tab. You can also find it uh, on our mobile app as well. It's built right into the app, a really convenient way to listen to podcasts on repeat. If you're busy during the show, that's fine. Go back and check it out at your own leisure. 608-796-2558. I said we're talking about uh, what the Brewers' next move might be. There are some rumors out there, and Scott, right on time, says the Brewers are signing Taysom Hill. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie, Scott. When I saw that during the break, I laughed, and I appreciate you bringing that to the show the t- today. I, I needed it. After the anger yesterday and earlier this week surrounding Taysom Hill and the Badgers' anger yesterday, I, I needed that. So thank you, Scott. Although I'm sure if the Brewers did sign Taysom Hill... Uh, we would find a way to to be mad about it in one way or another and still be angry at the Packers. The Brewers aren't looking to sign Taysom Hill, but after the signing of Yasmani Grandal, this team's payroll actually right now sits at the highest it's ever been. And people are like, well, the Brewers still need a pitcher. They still need this. They still need that. Well, Brewers are a little squeezed on payroll right now, and people are are, are kind of worried. They're They're freaking out a little bit, saying things like, Yasmani Grandal was too expensive, and, and you can argue that, yes or no, that's that's your prerogative at all. I, I'm here to say, it's okay. If there was a time for the Brewers' payroll to be higher than ever, this this would be the time, right? Well, first of all, payroll is just going to go up with inflation in the way that the league is, is going, so it's hard for this year's payroll to be compared to something in the 80s or the 90s. But second of all, 
you are you were one game away from making the World Series. If there was ever a time to jack up your payroll and get more aggressive, this is the year. So when I say the Brewers now sit at their highest payroll in franchise history, that's okay. I'm not saying that as a negative. I'm not saying that as a warning. That's just the state of things, and that is just fine. That's 100% okay that the Brewers are paying out more money than they ever have right now. In fact, I would be worried if they weren't or if it wasn't close because they were one game away from the World Series. They don't need to go all in. They don't need to blow every penny in their pocket. But if there was a time to get more aggressive and spend a couple more dollars here and there, this would be the time. It would make a lot of sense. So according to uh, some insiders, of which I am not, so we look to guys like Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic and at Fox, says that bringing back Wade Miley might be the next move for the Brewers. Now, because the Brewers are paying so much money out in payroll, they would have to look to clear a little bit of salary space. I mean, if they wanted to keep things under control, and I would imagine that they do. So there are a couple perspective moves out there. Two guys that maybe could be traded to clear that calorie space. Uh, calorie space. <laughs> salary cap space would be Eric Thames. Uh, he's due $6 million in 2019, uh, plus a $1 million buyout. And Matt Albers is, ob- is also receiving a handsome amount of pay. He's set to earn $2.5 million next year. Now, when we talk about these players, it's almost taboo, right? Think about the Packers. The fact that Randall Cobb is making that much money or Brian Bulaga is making as much money as he is. And Packers fans are so quick to say, well, we got to clear cap space. We have to cut the likes of Bulaga or Perry or Cobb. Look, somebody's got to get paid. It's not a bad thing that Eric Thames is getting paid $6 million. It's not bad that Matt Albers is getting paid $2.5 million. There is times to pay players and there are times to not. And just because somebody is making money, we shouldn't be grabbing our pitchforks and torches and then going after them. Because let's let's talk about this in, in the terms of the Packers. If you clear the cap space by cutting Brian Bulaga, what is one of your first moves going to look to be? You're going to try to find an offensive lineman to help out with the right side of the line. So clearing cap space just to clear cap space doesn't always make sense. I think in this sense, it would. Wade Miley trying to bring him back. That's rumored to be the next step for the Milwaukee Brewers and going and trading the likes of Eric Thames or Matt Albers might be the way to do it. Now, unfortunately, they would probably have to include a prospect or two or something else. Team just isn't going to do you a favor and take on salary for no reason, especially salary connected to Eric Thames, who I don't love, and Matt Albers, who had an awful year last year. Eric Thames is due $6 million, and if somebody had to get the axe, I would be okay with it. And when I say axe, he's getting traded. It's not like he's losing out on money. He's going to get every dollar that he's due, uh, including that buyout if a team decides to buy him out. That's just an extra million. Eric Thames is a fun piece. During this Brewers rebuild, I thought David Stearns did a really good job of bringing in guys on small contracts so they weren't a hindrance to the team down the line to be placeholders. Guys who were entertaining at the time but weren't really a part of the grand scheme of things. Uh, I believe his name was Chris Carter, played first base. I, I should look it up, but but Carter, who played first base, was a great example of this. Dude came in, hit with a bunch of pop. He was fun to watch in the meantime. Adam Lind, fun to watch in the meantime. And he's moved on to to play elsewhere now. Eric Thames, I think, was was one of those moves. He said, this guy's entertaining. He's going to be, uh, he can be one of our faces. We can sell him some sell some jerseys. He's a funny dude. He's going to be good in the locker room. He's going to be good on interviews. And if the Brewers aren't winning, which at the time they weren't, He'll be a good dude to have around, and whatever, I'll throw him $6 million. That's not the end of the world. It's not like we need it anyways. Well, now the Brewers have turned the corner, and they do need that money. And when you start to look at the roster, this Brewers lineup, the lineup card is is pretty set in stone. You have your outfield of Ryan Braun, Christian Yelich, 
and Lorenzo Cain. Now, in the regular season, you're probably going to give a guy like Ryan Braun a couple of days off here and there, so you need that fourth outfielder that you feel pretty good about. But other than that, those are your guys. Now, in the infield as it's currently constructed, Travis Shaw, Orlando Arcia, whoever they opt to put at second, whether that's Spangenberg or whether they bring in somebody else, uh, maybe that's Saladino. I, I think a lot of Brewers fans hope and, and want to think that the Brewers are just waiting on uh, Keston Hira. Left side of the infield's okay. They might choose to tweak it, but you have bodies as of right now. And first base is, until Jesus Aguilar loses that job, it is his to have. Even if last year was a flash in the pan, it is going to be his opening day starting job. It's up to him to keep or to lose it. I don't see a spot in the lineup for Eric Thames. He's miserable in the outfield defensive-wise. And I can put up with bad defense if the bat and the presence at the plate makes up for it. Now, don't get me wrong. Eric Thames has hit some big home runs. He's had some walk-offs. He's had some fun moments, but fun moments don't always translate to winning baseball games and getting back to the postseason. I don't want Eric Thames playing at first base instead of Jesus Aguilar, and I certainly don't want him pinch hitting. If Eric Thames could pinch hit, that would be one thing. He is a bat who is going to rely on getting lots of looks and lots of swings because he can't just turn on a home run swing coming cold off of the bench. We've we've seen that. He's not a good pinch hitter. I believe last year he hit under 200 in pinch hitting situations. He's just not a guy that you can keep cold in the dugout and expect to come through for you like Domingo Santana showed the ability to do last year. So if all that is thought of and true, where's Eric Thames' spot on this team? I like Eric Thames. I think he's entertaining. I think he's a fun dude, and I think he like he sells merchandise. He gets people to watch TV and, and watch locker room YouTube videos and all that. But in terms of winning baseball games, and and let's not mince words about this, that is the number one goal. Anything but getting back to the postseason this year for the Brewers will be a major disappointment. And I don't know if Eric Thames on this team, whether he is playing first base or they try to rotate him in the outfield or as a pincher or whatever, I just don't think Eric Thames' presence on this team helps. I would much rather have Wade Miley, especially given the the standard and how the the current starting rotation is built up. It's a lot of right-handed pitchers, and it's a lot of young Guys, now outside of Yoli Shasin, you have Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Davies, Jimmy Nelson, all right-handers. All right-handers, and most of them are fairly young. Now that youth is nice because it's cheaper. Peralta, Burns, Woodruff, all very young. Davies and Nelson, just slightly older. But all right-handers. You like Shasin, but you would like to get one more veteran, and why not make it a lefty? I think Wade Miley fits that bill very cleanly. Would you like to see Wade Miley back in a Brewers uniform? I would personally love it, and I have some more reasoning, and we'll talk about that uh, as we wrap up the show. 608-796-2558. I would love to talk Wade Miley. I would love to talk how the Brewers can clear cap space. Not cap space, but clear space, because there is no cap in baseball. Where can they find the money to bring Wade Miley back, if indeed that's what you would like to see? That's what I would like to see. I think it makes a lot of sense for the Brewers, and I think it makes a lot of sense for Wade Miley as well. Can you trade Eric Thames? You might have to give up some prospects, but think of it this way. If you're giving up prospects in conjunction with Eric Thames to clear money to bring back Wade Miley, think of it like you are essentially trading for Wade Miley. You're going to have to give up a prospect or two to probably get a team to take on Eric Thames, unless somebody, for whatever reason, just loves Eric Thames, wants him on the team, and is going to use him as a as a, a stopgap, as a piece while they are rebuilding to be entertaining. It worked well for the Brewers. I think it, I think it fits Eric Thames. But I doubt any team is going to come running with open arms. You're probably going to have to give up a prospect or two. Probably not high-level prospects, but you're going to need to sweeten the pot a little bit. Think of it like you are trading for Wade Miley. If you were David Stearns, if you were Craig Council, do you like the idea of bringing back Wade Miley 
if you are able to find the money. That would shake out your options in the rotation to be Yoli Shasin, Jimmy Nelson, Zach Davies, and then the three pair of uh, the three young arms, Peralta, Burns, and Woodruff. Now, if you have Shasin, Peralta, Burns, Woodruff, Davies, Nelson, and you bring back Miley, that's seven arms. You're not going to keep seven arms in your starting rotation, which would give you the flexibility if you brought Wade Miley back to maybe keep Woodruff or Burns or Peralta or a combination of all three in the bullpen in some fashion or form for a portion of the season. Now, Zach Davies has been injury prone. Jimmy Nelson is kind of a wild card coming back off of that injury. Now, one or both of those guys goes down, your, your rotation sinks, and all of a sudden you're not looking at seven, but you're looking at five. And you would like to have that extra starting pitcher in Wade Miley. And the, the, the righty versus lefty thing. I, I'm not super caught up into it, but you always want versatility. You always want to give opposition different looks. And right now, as the, the starting rotation would consist, it would be one, two, three, four, five righties and one lefty in Chassin. You want to add some left-handed depth? You want to add a veteran presence? I think Wade Miley makes a lot of sense, not only on paper, but for some Big picture stuff as well. It's hard for me to explain, and we're going to get into that coming up as we wrap up the Wisco Sports Show. 608-796-2558, a chance to hop in at the last second. Brewers, Wade Miley, good, bad, thoughts. You love it? You hate it? Are you indifferent? Let me know. We'll talk about it as we wrap up the program coming up next here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Don't forget, Bucks play tonight. Second game of a back-to-back. They spanked the Heat last night. They took on the Grizzlies. 7 o'clock tip, 6.30 pregame here on WKTY. The five-star telecom talking text line is lighting up. It's funny. I was talking to one of my coworkers on Z93 before the show started today, and they asked, what do people respond to? Is it just Packers that you get texts and calls from? And I told her, it's pretty incredible When you get a good baseball team in Wisconsin, when the Brewers are good, I mean, it's January. And here we are, and we're having a conversation about the Brewers. Not something that we've been able to do a lot in the past. John says, yes, need to bring Miley back. Tom says, rather than include prospects with Eric Thames, I would trade him for a prospect, maybe a first base prospect. I love the logic. I don't know if that's going to be a possibility. The Brewers are trading Eric Thames to dump salary and... Eric Thames didn't have a great season last year. It's not like his value is particularly high. Like I said, maybe a team will take him on as a stopgap, as an entertaining piece during a rebuild. But I would imagine that when the Brewers try to dump salary by trading away Eric Thames, that teams are going to say, we'll take your money, we'll help you out, because Eric Thames is exciting, we want him to be here during our rebuild or what have you. But you're going to need to give us a little something as well, because we're just not going to take on payroll to take on payroll. I don't know how that trade and how those negotiations would go down, but Tom, that's that would be my inkling. Scott says we uh Scott remember earlier talking about how the Brewers were maybe going to acquire Taysom Hill. Scott hates talking about Taysom Hill, and I'm glad he humored me earlier this week. Said glad I was able to give you a laugh. We all have our hot button topics, regardless of the sport or the team that we follow. I think we need to remember to have fun and make fun of ourselves at times. It's supposed to be fun after all. Have a great night, Scott. You too, and that's the truest thing I've seen today. This is sports radio. We're not doing rocket science here. We're not doing brain surgery. We're just having fun. We're talking. Uh, And and I am having a blast talking about the Brewers and all the hypotheticals and the rumors that are swirling around this team right now. I was on Twitter during the break, and it's a crazy time to be a Brewers fan. Among hashtag Brewers prospects invited to spring training. This is by MLB Pipeline. So the Brewers always have prospects at camp, right? And, And the prospects are always ranked, you know, one through 100 or whatever, all your prospects in the minor leagues. 
Sometimes your best prospects are in single A. Sometimes they're in triple A. So you don't always see the best of the best at triple A or excuse me, at spring training. This year, spring training is going to be a light show Uh, of the prospects they invited. They have their number one overall prospect in Keston Hira, number two in Corey Ray. Number four, Lucas Ersig is going to be there. Eight, Zach Brown. Number 11, Peyton Henry. They have a ton of top-tier prospects. Some of their best players in the minors are going to be at spring training this year. Maybe we should take a trip down to Maryville. i got to ask Dave and Scrady. Traveling with Scrady, we should road trip. <laughs> we should get Scrady, Dave, and myself in a station wagon and drive down to Maryville and see some of these spring training games because it's not often you see this level uh, and this high level of players at spring training. You always see, obviously, players who are the farthest along, meaning in AAA and, and just about trying to crack through to the major leagues. But the Brewers' top-tier cream-of-the-crop prospects are at that level right now where you're going to see them in free agency, and a lot of their top-10 prospects are going to be there. Uh, we're not talking about prospects right now, at least with, <laughs> I kind of got off the rails. We're talking about Wade Miley and how it's rumored that the Brewers' next step or their next move may be to bring back Wade Miley. Now, the payroll for the team right now is at a franchise high. It's never been this high before, and when, I, when we started this Brewers chatter uh, about 20 minutes ago, I said, that's okay. That is okay. If there was ever a time for the Brewers to be dealing out more money than ever, this would be the time. First of all, it, it goes up with inflation every year. That's just the way sports and, and payment for any job works, but they're one game away from the World Series last year. I should hope that they're getting more aggressive and more willing to spend money because five years from now, hopefully no sooner than five years, hopefully a little longer than five years, the Brewers are going to have to regress and they're going to have to rebuild. There'll be plenty of time to save money when that time comes. And Adonacio at that time is going to be saying, wow, I wish I had an opportunity to cut a check and go out and get this level of a player because, man, back in 2018, 2019, we had these opportunities. We were there. You know, I wish we could go back to that. I wish we could go back to cutting checks to some of these really high-level players. So it's not a problem. I don't say highest payroll in franchise history is a bad thing. It's just a footnote. The Brewers are probably going to have to shed some salary unless Wade Miley uh, is willing to take on a really team-friendly deal. And some of the rumored uh, moves that have been out has maybe trading Eric Thames, who has a $6 million contract, with a $1 million buyout as well. Albers is also earning $2.5 million next season. Those might be some of the players they look to move to possibly shed some of that salary. I think Wade Miley makes a lot of sense. And I think trading Eric Thames to clear space for Wade Miley also makes sense. We already talked about that. I just don't think Eric Thames has a role on this team, especially not one that warrants $6 million. I love Wade Miley, and this was the comparison I was thinking about earlier. I was, I was making a bagel for lunch, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm trying to come up with reasons why Matt Albers should be brought back. Because I'm, I, I don't just want to share news with you on the program. I want to share my thoughts and, and things that I have not meditated on, but, but things that I've thought about. I think it makes a lot of sense for both the Brewers and for Wade Miley to rejoin and, and run it back this season and to him to sign free agent-wise in Milwaukee. And I, th- I thought of Matt Flynn, and I know this is a really forced, maybe unfair to both parties comparison, but I think there are some parallels if you'll bear with me. When Matt Flynn started with the Packers, it was the perfect situation for him. He was backing up Aaron Rodgers, so you're not going to have to play a whole lot. You can probably learn a handsome amount sitting behind a guy like Aaron Rodgers and watching him in practice and watching him in games. And when he did fill in, which is few and far between, like in 2010 and in 2011, he was tremendous. He was great. He was exactly what the Packers needed. And I think his role and his position with the Packers was good for him as well. He got to play maybe once a year, maybe, sometimes more, sometimes less. And he got to do so on a very good team 
and in a good situation to succeed. Now, obviously, he left in free agency to become a starter, to to, to pursue a starting job, which I'm not going to fault him for. Didn't really carve out a spot in Seattle. Couldn't really make it work in Oakland. And then he came back to Green Bay, where he had success as Aaron Rodgers back up a second go-round. Remember that crazy comeback against the Cowboys? Was it 25-3? to Something like that at halftime, 28-3. to I know that was the Patriots score. I don't think they were identical, but he led that second half comeback. I mean, it, it just seemed to work in Green Bay. And I'm not saying that Wade Miley couldn't work elsewhere. I'm not, I'm not, And I'm not comparing Wade Miley to a backup quarterback, but sometimes a situation, a team, a location is just a perfect cut for a specific player. I, I think Donald Driver had that with the Packers. I, I think right now... A guy like Randall Cobb has that with the Packers. I don't know uh, if he will regress by moving on, but I think his situation in Green Bay is really good. I think Matt Flynn is the best example of that in the early 2010s and in 2013 and 14 as well. I just think that was a really, really good scenario for both the Packers and for Matt Flynn. And I think we might see shades of that with Wade Miley. I think Wade Miley is a better player at his position than Matt Flynn was. But last year, I think he was in a great position. He could be very aggressive early in games, and he wouldn't have to pitch. There wasn't too much weight on his shoulders because of the bullpen he had behind him. Wade Miley went out onto the hill knowing that all I got to do is go five. Five innings, a run or two, and I can be backed up and scooted out. And if I leave a couple of runners on, that's fine too, because I'm going to have Josh Hader or Corey Knable or Corbin Burns following me. How, how great of a feeling is that, knowing that as a starting pitcher, you don't have to carry the weight of the franchise that particular night on your shoulders because you have a great supporting cast. Wade Miley found success in Miller Park last year. It worked for him in Milwaukee, and I think a lot of that is to do to outside factors. And because of that, I think the Brewers should be more ready and more willing to pay the man because it's worked in the past, and I think it can work again because that mindset of five quality innings is all we need because our bullpen can take us the rest of the way. I think that that that's perfect for Wade Miley. I don't know if he's your traditional ace like like an Adam Wainwright who can consistently go six, seven innings. I don't know if he's your Zach Greinke, your CeCe Sabathia. He's not that. But for the money that the Brewers are going to have to pay him, which is not CeCe Sabathia money or Madison Bumgarner money or Hugh Darvish money, I think it's going to be a good balance between you're going to get a quality start, you're going to get five innings or six innings, maybe more at times. We saw that from Wade Miley. But you're getting a guy who's cheaper, who can work in this team and in this franchise at this particular moment and can go out there knowing that he has a little bit of freedom to pitch looser because he has that bullpen backing it up, that three-headed monster that Yasmani Grandal talked about. And I think Matt Flynn is an interesting comparison. That situation was perfect for him, and it it showed in more than one go-around. And I think that we could maybe see the same thing with Wade Miley. Maybe. I would love to see the Brewers bring him back. I know we have listeners who agree as I check out the five-star telecom talking text line. I think it would just make sense. Familiar face, an athlete, and a pitcher who knows how things work. He was gone for most of the year with an injury. Resilient, rehab that, came back. I, I just really like what Wade Miley offered last year. And I think for the Brewers' current situation, it would make a lot of sense for both parties to try to run it back another time in 2019. I just think it makes sense for a lot of different reasons that we talked about. Good show today. Good show. Brewers talk in January. I'm always going to take Brewers talk in January. I love that. Packers continue to put a staff together. The Bucks continue to turn out wins. They have Memphis tonight. Pre-game action at 6.30. Tip-off to shortly after 7 here on WKTY. Show goes on. Same time, same place tomorrow. Can't wait to talk to you then.